When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. This idea that he's like a sleeper, like, no, no, people are waking up fast. Um, he's not Tim Tebow, he's not Cordell Stewart, he's not Taysom Hill. He's going to be a starting NFL quarterback, prolific college career. He tweets after the workout, not proving anyone wrong, just proving myself right. Guys, mm. in the huddle, in the locker room, he's got it going on. Fast riser right now. I love him. All right, back in my chair here in our Twin Cities studios because little known fact is half of the studio is in Minneapolis and half of the studio is in St. Paul. That's a real thing. Did you know that? I, I didn't know that. I figured it was close, though. I mean, it's right down the border. Yeah. Really? Half the studio? So if you, like, walk over there, you're in St. Paul or Minneapolis, and then, you know, walk over there. It's like you can do the Homer Simpson thing. I'm in Minneapolis. I'm in St. Paul. You do Uh, that sometimes? Maybe. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Um, I am back here from Indianapolis. Had a great time broadcasting with Sage Rosenfels. Can't wait to catch up with him on Monday because he was there inside of Lucas Oil Stadium last night for all the quarterbacks throwing, so we'll get his takes. But I caused a kerfuffle online, Myron Metcalf. It's my first time ever upsetting anyone online Okay, by tweeting this, these very words. Jalen Hurts is good on the whiteboard because there were reports that he was really good in the meetings. And there was a video with Steve Mariucci of him breaking down a play that Steve Mariucci had just taught him. So he taught him uh, an old, I think it was a Brett Favre play, and he just picked it right up and explained it right back to Steve Mariucci in a flash. And it was impressive. So a lot of people report, okay, he's good on the whiteboard in these meetings. He's the best athlete quarterback there at the Combine. And he ran a sub 4-6. Very impressive. Also, Heisman-level production. 20 rushing touchdowns. I think it was 32 passing touchdowns. Over 50 touchdowns just by himself. And yet, Justin Herbert is the guy that everyone is super excited about. Yeah. And I watched enough of both of them to have gone into the draft process myself just feeling like Justin Herbert is Paxton Lynch or he's Jake Locker. He's just one of these big, tall guys with a rocket arm. And I watched a 35-minute YouTube breakdown by a former NFL quarterback on Jalen Hurts and came, I'm sorry, on Justin Herbert and came away thinking, boy, all those problems that this guy brings up are all the problems that will just ruin you as an NFL quarterback for Justin Herbert. 
So I I just don't see it outside of the big giantness and the giant arm. And Sage Rosenfels felt the same way after watching his tape. But Jalen Hurts is a funky one because he's not Lamar Jackson. So if yeah. you start making these, oh, he's the best athlete. Well, he's not like an all-time level athlete here. And his throwing motion isn't perfect. Tell me if you've heard this story before. He's got great character. Yeah. He's a great competitor. And he's a leader. And all the guys get along with him. And he handled the Alabama situation really well. So we have these things, that are, things that are wrong with him. The intangibles are great. He's a great athlete. And a lot of times this guy falls and ends up working out. So I'm interested. If he's a second or third round player, and I'm the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm not 100% sure I'm signing Kirk Cousins to a contract extension, and I need a backup quarterback, I like Jalen Hurts for this. How do you feel about Jalen Hurts, Myron? I love him, man. I think that's a smart pick. Now, he's not he's not Lamar Jackson, but I do hope that the Lamar Jackson situation has encouraged GMs and execs to not put guys like Jalen Hurts in a box and, and give him a chance to show you his best stuff, which he's done all week. I mean, he has been he's been putting on a show in in Indy uh, beyond the four five nine forty. Just some of the throws he's been able to make, and it's always interesting to me, man, that when you get to the NFL, we measure you according to as a quarterback according to whether or not you've won against elite teams. Right? You know, Kirk Cousins. The thing we bring up all the time is. Win-loss record in primetime. Win-loss record against teams uh, with a 500 or better record. And here's a guy in Jalen Hurts who goes to Alabama, and if he doesn't have a bad half in the championship game, you know, potentially he wins that title, Tua doesn't come in, maybe he's the starter going into the second year, and we don't even hear about Tua, Tua until now. Yeah, right. Tua takes over, and it's as if Jalen had done something wrong, when really all he did was he was the second-best quarterback for the best team in America. And, and two as a top two pick. Yes. And and that was his crime. But no one's citing that Joe Burrow, who also transferred because he got pushed down in the rotation and wanted a chance to start. Right. No one's bringing that up. Jalen Hurts goes to Oklahoma and says, okay, you all think it's just Alabama, the talent around me. I'm going to take this team to the college football playoff. And I'm going to improve with, I think, a guy in Lincoln Riley who really helped him tweak some of his fundamentals and, and just made him a better overall quarterback. So, yeah, I think Jalen Hurts is a guy who certainly I would take a hard look at in the second or third round uh, because you know this isn't some guy that you're going to move to tight end or wide receiver. He's proven at the combine he's a quarterback, and I think he's proven throughout his career that he has a chance to play at the next level and compete at that position considering all the things that come with him. So if he could become – as talented, let's just say, as Marcus Mariota. Somebody who runs, but is not perfect when it comes to throwing the football. Mm-hmm. Would you sign up for that? If you were the Vikings, would you sign up for that as a guy that would be your backup quarterback this year? And then next year, you don't know. Like mm-hmm. At this moment, I don't even think the Vikings know for sure. I don't think that Kirk Cousins knows for sure. And we definitely don't know for sure. They were talking at the Combine like he was going to be their quarterback for a long time, but that doesn't mean anything. Cousins could say, hmm, 17 games is coming up. That sounds like a lot of money is going to be all of a sudden available to give to Kirk. Uh, And if I was him, I would have the same mentality. If if you guys are going to go to 17 games in 2021, I'm not signing a five-year contract extension because that salary cap is going to go up by 
hundred mil, and then yeah. you'll have me on a really good deal, and uh, I want to maximize my profit. So if you ran into a situation where Kirk Cousins just said, "Sorry, I'm just going to wait it out and maybe sign a one year deal with somebody else and wait till that that big thing hits and and go from there," I'm not signing with you guys. If you had to turn it over to someone with Marcus Mariota level talent, could you win with that? If you're the Vikings, if you could put together a, a good offense with the same pieces, with Delvin, with Thielen and Diggs, assuming nothing goes wrong with Diggs, a, a first-round left tackle for this year, and then you have to hand it over to him. Because I, I think if you're talking about what his ceiling is, it's probably a little higher than that. But if you're talking about like most likely scenario of what he becomes, it's probably someone like Mariota. Yeah, and I think uh, it's the situation he's been in both at Oklahoma and Alabama. I mean, are there some great quarterbacks who, whatever you put around them, they're going to shine? Sure. Most guys aren't in that category. And I think we saw Jalen Hurts at both both Alabama and Oklahoma. When you put five-star level weapons around him, he was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And that's what he would have here. He'd have Diggs and Thielen, healthy Thielen. You know, he'd have Irv and Kyle Rudolph. He'd have Dalvin Cook. He'd have all these pieces. So, you know, you don't want to call a guy a system quarterback. But to me, if system quarterback means... Making the most of the talent around you, uh, I, I think Jalen Hurts certainly could fulfill that role. And I think you know his his running ability. He he was just sort of a north south guy. You know, you didn't see a lot of fanciness to his game. The Saint Lamar Jackson, but I just was always impressed by how he knew when to run mm-hmm. and just his instincts on that, which is half the battle. I mean, I think the fact that he is just a really really smart player means a lot and, and why not give him a give him a chance. I'm just happy people are talking about him as a quarterback. Because five <laughs> years ago, yeah. honestly five years he, ago he's playing running back. Probably. They put him somewhere else. Yeah. They'd say, Nope. Uh you fit in the certain box and we don't see you being a quarterback and now you've got all these black quarterbacks. You can't look at a Jalen Hurts and put him in a box. You've got to give him a chance. But yeah, I, I think someone's gonna get him, develop him, and I think someone will have at least a pretty good backup quarterback. I have a tough time thinking that he can be an NFL superstar because the arm talent just isn't there to be an NFL yeah. superstar. Is any quarterback in this draft an NFL superstar? I don't know about that. The Burrow one is really hard for me to figure out because I see, I was reading Daniel Jeremiah today from NFL Network, and I really like his work. Mm-hmm. He's got just insane amounts of insight and information on everybody, and he was a former scout himself. But he mentioned the name Tom Brady, and immediately my brain shuts oh. off. Like, just click, like, no. nope, sorry, you you just can't do that. It's like when someone compares Jordan Love to Patrick Mahomes. I know what you're getting at, but no, I, I refuse it. to accept that. It, it's the, the same if somebody says, you know, this uh, this guy coming out in the NBA draft, he's got a lot of Jordan to him. Like, no, he doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> nope. Just yeah, okay. You mean so he tries to play like Jordan yeah. and fails miserably yeah. in comparison. People do um, that with singers all the time. You know, it's just she's she's kind of like Beyonce. No, she's not. Yeah, sure. Okay, no, she's not. She uh, right. Sing that well. So no, uh, I would not look at Joe Burrow like that. Now, someone compared him to Tony Romo. I like that much more as a guy who, if he has a great team around him, can be accurate, and he has some athleticism, some playmaking ability. He can go off script a little bit, and the accuracy is really big for him. I like that, and you're playing at a high level, but you're also playing with a, a whole like superstar draft yeah. class. Like Everyone yeah. from LSU who's available to get drafted is going to get drafted in the first and second round. It's almost like the Miami teams where they had, what, it was like 8 out of 11 yeah. defensive players <laughs> yeah. drafted or something all, like yeah. that? 
back in the day. Um, so Burrow, I'm not sure of. Tua, if the medicals are okay, I really do like him as a franchise quarterback because he does have a playmaker element to him, extremely accurate. His numbers are wild. Yeah, but and, the if, I mean, I don't know you get past that. Right, yeah. And, and so I think you take that guy just because. The Hurts thing becomes more interesting to me because of the sheer number of quarterbacks who have dropped in the draft over, well, you know, his throwing motion isn't perfect, or, well, he's just not tall enough, or he's too athletic, or whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. And a lot of times these do fail. Pat White didn't work out. But they also click more often than if you take in the third round some average schmo sort of quarterback who doesn't have any athleticism and isn't super accurate and ends up being Matt McGloin in the XFL, right? So for the Vikings, with their quarterback situation, I think it's always worth it to draft a quarterback no matter where you're talking about picking one. And if there's this... If there's 60-40, 70-30 that Kirk is going to stay, that 30% is enough for me to say, well, draft one. And then this guy's character is just A+. plus. Mm-hmm. So you can put him in as a backup, and he's not going to cause you any sort of problems. He was the one that dealt with that Tua situation in Alabama really, really well. I think he could have been a problem for them, and he wasn't at all. He just went somewhere else and did great. Yeah. So I, I like that idea, and I like him better than some of the other quarterbacks who have the stronger arm or whatever it might be. Jacob Eason from Washington is talked about as a first round pick. Like what? who? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, six six. That's, That's why. why. So I guess I guess what I wanted to ask you, Myron, is if you think that anything changed with the year of the black quarterback, with Lamar succeeding, with Patrick Mahomes succeeding and Deshaun Watson, too. He won a playoff game, and uh, not because the rest of his team was very good, that's for sure. I think yeah. the Texans are a bad team with a great quarterback. And all these guys dropped for some reason or another. Teddy's probably going to get paid. He dropped for a silly reason. And, and now I look at Hurts going, well, this is kind of history for you here if he doesn't get drafted high after all that he accomplished and and all the conversations we've had about, yeah, running quarterbacks are actually good for you. Yeah. Well, this guy ran a ton. And you don't want that now. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like we talked about how this was going to change things. And this, in a way, if he goes in the fourth round, means that nothing really changed. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be unfortunate. Again, I do think um, if anything's changed, it's that you can't put Jalen Hurts in a box. You you can't talk to his team and say, hey, look, man, uh, it's time for him to work out as a tight end or wide <laughs> receiver. Yeah. Um, a running back, some other position. You You have to respect him enough to allow him to play his position and see how it goes. So I think that that has changed. Like, here's what black quarterbacks have to overcome. It, it ain't the raw talent. The challenge becomes if you don't think that a black quarterback, and it ain't just black quarterback, it's it's black anything, can be an intellectual leader. That's what these guys are often over, mm-hmm. overcoming. Yeah. I always thought with Lamar Jackson, the haters, a part of it was, he doesn't talk like I do. You know, his diction's a little different. Yeah. He's not as, quote, articulate. Is what a word you hear a lot of t- times used, right? And I think that... He speaks well. Right? And I think that hurt him. That he was so Southern and country and yeah. raw that a lot of people thought, well, that automatically translates to you not being intelligent. And then when you compare a guy like that to a Russell Wilson, who is Fortune 500, right. yeah. put him on the cover of the brochure, wife is a music superstar... Then all of a sudden you go, well, that's that's what a black quarterback should be. Yeah. Um, but I do hope that people are seeing the diversity within black quarterbacks. They don't have to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Russell isn't Deshaun. Deshaun isn't Lamar. 
That's okay. Mahomes is his own guy. So that to me is what has changed is stop trying to find a black quarterback who fits a certain mold. Mm-hmm. Respect them as a leader, not just with their athletic gifts, but also with their intellectual abilities. And also, let's make room to allow them to be themselves. Yeah. And not bring in a Jalen Hurts and say, which black quarterback is he like? Maybe he's just a good quarterback. <laughs> or maybe there's a white quarterback that's actually a better comparison. Everyone's afraid to do that, right? Yeah. I just think that to me is what I hope changes over time. But I do I do think it was funny. Someone asked Jalen Hurts, uh, do you think you'll have to switch positions? And he said, no way, I'm a quarterback. And everyone seemed to respond, yeah, that, that is what he is. That is what he should be doing at the combine. Where at Kyler, five, six years ago, I think that's a different yeah. conversation without Mahomes, without Lamar, without Deshaun, without all these guys who've done it. Uh, and I think that, to me, I hope, I really hope that's progress, that, yes, this guy can do it with with his athletic gifts, but he can also do it with his mind. And that, to me, is the progress I, I hope to see. And with this particular quarterback, he is athletic, which is part of the, yeah. you know, a lot of the black quarterbacks who have been drafted are great athletes. Yeah. But something that, like you said, they're not given credit for all the time is the character and leadership. And Teddy Bridgewater was probably one who was given that credit mm-hmm. because he won so much. But the minute that something was a little wrong, like, you know, he didn't have the great pro day. And, well, he doesn't have the strongest arm. And he has skinny knees or yeah. whatever. Like, just picking apart everything. When you look at Justin Herbert, there's a lot wrong. One of the things that's wrong that I watched and then, you know, confirmed with Sage and things like that is the guy comes off his first read pretty fast and makes pretty bad and basic mistakes. And then just throws some really bad ducks. Yep. And he has great athleticism. His athleticism's as good relatively as Jalen Hurts, but he doesn't run. So he's not like a running aggressive quarterback who will do anything to win. Yeah. And then his situational awareness was absolutely horrendous, uh, I thought, from watching a couple of games back of him. So, so you have these problems, and yet they're like, yeah, but, but what you got to consider <laughs> is, see, he's got this big arm. Okay, well, yeah. there's been a lot of guys with big arms who lack situational awareness and, and uh, a winning type of disposition where they're going to do everything. What I saw from Jalen Hurts is a lot of toughness. Uh, somebody who would run over a linebacker to get into the end zone at the Strong. goal line. If, right, and strength too. But also there's you know a will to win. He gets down to Baylor by a lot. I think they were down like 21 nothing or 21-3 or something, and he grinds and grinds and grinds, even though their offensive line this year was nowhere near what it was for Kyler Murray no. or what it was for Baker Mayfield. And yet... He had to he had to run a lot because of that, not just because of uh, the fact that he would come off his first read and then run. So it's like we apologize for these other things, like oh yeah, but you got to consider the ceiling with the arm strength. Like, yeah. Okay, but let's consider also someone's competitiveness and character because a couple of people that I was talked to about quarterbacks, including Sage Rosenfels, have said you know when it comes to this position, character is probably more important than anything, and that and that includes. It doesn't mean you're a great guy, <clears throat> Ben Roethlisberger, yeah. but it, it means that you're intelligent. It means that you're competitive. It means that you're tough. It means that you can get knocked down and get back up. It means that you can get down in a game and keep battling and battling and battling. And everything with Jalen Hurts, to me, says, okay, well, he's got a lot of the things that I like. Yeah. Like, all, all those things work for me. Now, he's not the most accurate. He's not. Certainly not the strongest arm quarterback, but Drew Brees can't throw a ball farther than me yeah, at yeah. this point. So I, I don't know. I I, I think it, what it tells you is what do you value, and then how much might you be impacted by these other 
types of, of things. I've mentioned to people on Twitter before that the Houston Rockets refuse to allow um, the same race comparisons when you're comparing a player for their own scouts. Yeah. So if if you're going to make a comparison, you better make it for not just a black guy, but a white guy, too, to make sure you're really working hard to get that right. So you're not letting in, uh, you know some biases come in on it. So I, I think it's an interesting little Smart. test for how you look at quarterbacks and what you think wins, because I think athleticism and character certainly win. Yeah, and, and I think your ability uh, to make people like you. Like Teddy Bridgewater's thing was people wanted to play for him, and they wanted to play with him. And that devastating reaction when he tears up his knee, I mean, that wasn't guys who were going, oh, man, the season's over. Yeah. Or, oh, that that poor kid. That was like, dude, our brother just. Yeah. I mean, it canceled practice. That was it. Yep. I mean, that that place was devastated. Alex Boone said it still bothers him. I mean, because people were like, that's our dude. Yeah. And I think that, to me, is a really difficult thing to achieve in an NFL locker room is to somehow find a way to connect with all these people from different backgrounds, yep. different positions, different statuses. You, you know, Patrick Mahomes in the, the NFL films piece that everybody keeps watching over and over again with him on the sideline, like that to me was a dude who he was almost like a great politician. <laughs> like, like how does everyone like you? Yeah. Like everybody yeah. down the, up and down that sideline was like, that's our leader. And I think that's so difficult to do. And when it comes to, I think, black quarterbacks, here would be the hope. Let's all just admit and start at the point where we go, it is incredibly difficult to identify, develop, and find a great quarterback, right? Almost impossible. It's extremely hard to find a good quarterback. So I think if you start there, then you get away from the, oh, this guy fits that box. No, like most of these guys were put in a box and – we found out that everyone was wrong. Tom Brady, Russell Wilson. Yes, there are some elite guys like Peyton Manning, but for the most part, the most important position in the NFL is the most difficult position to mm-hmm. identify at the collegiate yeah. level. So I think if you start there, then just grade everybody the same. Let's not make it seem as if the black athletic quarterback is the problem. How about just finding quarterbacks in general is a problem and everyone's kind of gambling and trying to figure it out. Like, that's the NFL. If you start there, then you give Jalen Hurts a fair chance. You give him as much much of a chance as, as Jacob Eason and some of these other guys mm-hmm. to prove you wrong or prove you right. Yeah, and, and also just from the perspective of if you're the Vikings, the um, everything is sort of some sort of gamble. It's a percentage. Yeah. Like what are your chances that he becomes the best quarterback in the league? Zero. I would say. Yeah. I, I don't think he becomes the best quarterback in the league. I also don't think that Joe Burrow or Tua becomes the best quarterback in the league either. There's there's no Patrick Mahomes trait there where he could be running full speed to his left and turn his hip and fling it 60 <laughs> yards to the end zone yeah. that he did in college and made John Gruden have a conniption in the uh, Gruden <laughs> camp. <laughs> but... Uh, both, both. So those guys have much higher chances to be great starters. They have top fifteen starters, which is what you hope for. What you hope for is this might sound weird, but I think this is right. You hope for your guy to become Kirk Cousins. You hope for him to be, if you could build everything else around him, that he could probably get you somewhere. Yep. That's what you're aiming for when you draft one of these guys. So the question would be: Can you be a ten win quarterback 
Like what what are the chances that Jalen Hurts or Justin Herbert or Jacob Eason become a ten win quarterback who maybe gets to eleven or twelve with a great team and who maybe is at seven or six with a terrible team? And I think that Hurts can be that guy. You're just going to have to accept though, if you're the team that drafts him, that he's not going to throw the football quite as hard or as well as some other people, but he can make up for those things with his running ability. Yeah. And and I think there are obviously limits to that. I mean, Jacoby Brissett is a great example. Uh, with the Colts in the first half of the season, uh, they were making it simple. And I think down the stretch of the season, when he had to make some more difficult throws, um, it became tougher. But, yeah, I think, you know, we were saying a lot of things about Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield yep. a couple of years ago where everybody just made assumptions about what they were going to be. We're usually wrong about quarterbacks. I oh, guess yeah. that to me is at the end yep. of the day, let's just all admit that and start there. Yeah. For the most part, you know, we strike out most of the time. And then I think to your point, hoping it becomes a Kirk Cousins, people lie and exaggerate sort of what's realistic. Oh, Tom Brady, stop bringing up anybody like that. Right. Mahomes, stop right. bringing up right. any of those guys. Yeah. Let's talk about him being a consistent starter mm-hmm. who for the next five, six years, you don't have to worry about that position. I think there are a lot of teams in the NFL, if you said for the next five to seven seasons, that position's locked up. You've got a good quarterback, a guy mm-hmm. with a ceiling of, like you said, 11, 12 wins, a bad times, seven and nine maybe. I think most teams in this league would accept that and would love that. Um, and I think if Jalen Hurts is, is, if that's the grading curve, then you would think a guy like that who just keeps winning mm-hmm. at every level. Yeah. Alabama goes there, wins. Wins a freshman player of the year in the SEC. Goes to Oklahoma. Keeps winning. Like, that has to count for something in, in this entire process. Herbert might be the worst guy on film that we've seen among the first-round prospects. The oh, film yeah. is terrible. Yeah, it really is. If you watched him play this season, uh, I mean, if you watch who's guys who are much smarter than me break down his weaknesses, you look at that guy and you go, okay, he is not going to be the kind of guy that you trust in clutch situations. He's going to make bad decisions, yep. bad throws. Yes. But his upside, let's so, just use that word with everybody. But, but that's a, it's like we, um, I make Courtney Cronin make pie charts all the time. She so loves pie charts. What percentage, and she botches it each time because she makes the percentages too hard on herself. Uh, let's go 38% yes. this happens. Yeah, I can't why do that, man. Why would you do that? No, I can't do just that. Just go man. 20 yeah. and 40 and 60. Because she's smart. Uh, see, that's that's probably smart. why. That's the problem. But then when you make her do it on the fly, she, she can't succeed at that. But uh, so. If we were doing a pie chart of Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts, who are not considered same level prospects not by most draft people, uh, if the worst case, the where it goes badly and they're not anywhere near what their ceiling is, Jalen Hurts is probably a solid backup quarterback in the NFL for ten years. I guess just based on like his comparison for Pro Football Focus was Tyrod Taylor. And love I, it. I like that. I love yeah. it. Somebody, Taylor went to the playoffs. They go in as a starter. They can win nine games. They can win potentially ten games. There were a few that, when I covered Tyrod Taylor, that it was one thing goes wrong and you lose, and, and he ends up with eight wins or nine wins instead of ten. You know, something like that. So he's a 500 or a little above starter. I think that's, if it doesn't go well for Hurts, he still is a solid backup quarterback. He's still in the NFL. If it doesn't go well for Justin Herbert, he's Paxton Lynch or he's yes. Zach Mettenberger, or not Zach Mettenberger, uh, Christian Hackenberg yeah. or something. Like you watch him on tape and he's throwing it 90 miles an hour at people all the time, which is okay and great and exciting to see the arm talent like that. But the touch on the football isn't really there. 
And when he's at the end of the game against Auburn, which is one I was watching, it's third down or fourth down, the time's winding out, and he's got to throw the ball in the end zone, and he heaves it 20 yards out of the back of the, the end zone. It was the worst throw. It was terrible. What? And, and maybe that's focusing too much on one play, but that was kind of his tape. The so, whole season. I think if you're the Vikings and you pick Jalen Hurts, which is kind of where we started, the worst thing you might get is someone you really like as a backup, who yeah. you know is going to be able to win you a few games if he gets in, just because he can make things happen. Yeah, so, the one you trust. Let's take a break. I have, I think, a, a fun hypothetical for you. Okay. What if the Vikings had won the Super Bowl in 2017? Where would we stand now? Let's discuss it when we return. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf. Here you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Hey, Score North listeners. It's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever. Like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North Download. You can join myself, Dan Terrark, Helen Williams, and Kendra D. St. Alban this Sunday night for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United and the Portland Timbers in the season opener. Pre-game at 6 p.m., kickoff at 6.30 p.m. right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Over at scorenorth.com, we've got a couple articles on the Vikings. Judd Zalgad has an article about what the most important offseason decision is for the Vikings and how it still remains a mystery as to what they will do with that decision. And then Matthew Collar has an article about how the Vikings go about assessing prospects at the NFL Combine, which he just returned from. And that has been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. I want you, Myron Metcalf, to put on your imagination hat. I don't, do those exist? No. They and told me I had one in like kindergarten, I remember they said. You had an uh, imagination I think hat. I made one out of like, uh, you know, you make those hats. Oh, like sure. Those paper. Yeah. And you put it on and yeah. you started imagining things. Maybe that was because I was in trouble. Maybe that's what. Maybe it was like. I uh, oh, you're referring to a dunce cap? Yeah, maybe it was one of those. Yeah, could be. All right, well, let's restart this segment. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Myron Metcalf. I want you to think in your brain, Myron, about a scenario that did not happen but could have if the Minnesota Vikings had won the Super Bowl in 2017. I was thinking about this on the flight home, about how somebody in the know walked up to me and said, you know that the Vikings are going 6-10 and next year, right? It's like, well, (laughs) we don't even know what's going to happen in free agency of the draft yet, but I could see that because of where they're at. And this particular person was putting some pretty heavy value and losing all of the defensive talent that Zimmer has benefited from. And also, they had an easy schedule last year. They were very healthy last year. And the division is up in the air, but good. And if Detroit gets a little or a lot better, like let's say they draft Isaiah Simmons and he's unreal first year, and that defense is decent and Stafford's healthy, they win like nine games or more than that. They could be the team that takes a big jump. Patricia is a fool, obviously, but let's even say they win nine games and they beat you once, and then Green Bay drops back a little but could still win 10 or 11 games, and then Chicago, if they change quarterbacks, they're legit too, and all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the division. Things can happen just like that in football. At this moment, I think Vikings fans are in a state of sort of um, 
They understand what their fate is here, that they're not going to be a Super Bowl team necessarily in 2020. I don't think the team thinks that. I think the team still believes this is the the window to win. Yeah, you got to act like that. Right. If they had won the Super Bowl, how would we feel about this team now? Would we feel the same way as you feel a little bit trapped, you feel like there's no easy way out of this situation, there's no left tackle you draft who just makes you the best team in the league next year, Um, you can't just snap your fingers and make it happen, or would people want to rip it apart? I guess that's my question. If they had won in 2017 the Super Bowl, we had the parade, uh, it went... Right past here, from Minneapolis to St. Paul. Yeah, and uh, everyone. No, nobody would have made it that far, by the way. No, after winning the Super Bowl, of course they not. Would have just stumbled. Down, just be downtown. Yeah, that would have been. That was a our location joke. Yeah. Um, do you think that people would be like, okay, well, we won that Super Bowl, and now let's just shred it apart and then rebuild it up again and try to win one in in a few more years, or would they be still saying, hey, this is the winning window, we have to try and win now? That's a layered question, right? I mean. I guess my first thought is how do Eagles fans feel at this point? I think a lot of them want to blow everything up. I mean, mm-hmm. they've had a lot of challenges since their Super Bowl run. And, and I think if you're an Eagles fan, you look at that and go, everything worked out. Might not happen yeah. again for a long time. Yeah. Everything worked out. So I think they would feel a lot like Eagles fans, but without Carson Wentz. Because to me, if you win in 2017, that means Case Keenum has played well in the NFC title game. He's played well, most likely in the Super Bowl, and now you have to sign him because you can't. You're not justified in going out and getting another quarterback when this guy just won the Super Bowl. Uh, so now maybe you give him the two years we've seen with Kirk Cousins so far, and if there's a major drop off, which by looking at what he's done since there there might have been, now I think you're in you're in worse shape. Um, but but I do think respective to sort of the fan base. I think a lot of people would feel like we got 2017 and we can live out that for a, a long, long time. If we got to blow it up to go out and find the right quarterback moving forward, I think people would be okay with that because if you had won the Super Bowl, you would buy yourself a, a, a lot of time. Like Eagles fans are still living off what happened in 2017, despite mm-hmm. the questions about Carson Wentz and his health despite the questions about all the injuries they've had on that team. Right. But I do think they're like, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. But I just think the biggest factor here would be you would have had to sign Case Keenum, right? I mean, I don't know how you – because in that scenario, he has played well on the road against the Eagles. They go to the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. Yeah. And Case Keenum is a star there as well. How do you, or at least does enough to win? Yeah, the I, Super I don't know Bowl. how you go in that scenario. Let's go out and get a different quarterback who helps us win a quarter so, uh, Super Bowl. I'm, I'm glad you went down this road because this was going to be part of my question. If they had re-signed Case Keenum, how different would it be? Uh, because in terms of the win loss record of the last two years, I don't think it's that different. Keenum went to a really bad Denver situation and was really bad, and their coach got fired. Then he goes to Washington, and they were really bad, and yep. their coach got fired. And I don't think that that was all Case Keenum's fault. It's just who he is. But here, he had a special rapport with Diggs and Thielen, and they didn't get worse over the last two years. This year, they beat one team with a winning record, and that was Philly. And Case Keenum probably could have won that game. Against Dallas, they handed off 10 times in a row on the game-winning drive. Yep. Uh, Delvin Cook 
carried the offense early in the season, and then they just threw downfield, which Keenum was able to do to throw to an open Stephon Diggs and Thielen in 17. So I think that they probably have the same amount of wins over the last two years. He would not have worked out with John Filippo, probably. He would have made up for the offensive line a little better, probably. Yeah. A few of those interceptable passes probably get picked, and then they don't make the playoffs the following year. And no one would have cared because they won the Super Bowl the year before. But where you might be in a better situation if they had signed Case Keenum than Kirk Cousins is you wouldn't be talking about, oh, yeah, well, we have to sign this guy for five more years. Because you would have thought, we were never really all in on this guy anyway. And even if he won the Super Bowl, you would not have signed him to an $84 million contract. It would have been more like uh, sort of a soft jumping into it. Uh, Much more reasonable because he was a one-year wonder. And that's kind of what made me think of it is even if they had won the Super Bowl and gone with Keenum, that right now we would be talking about which one of these quarterbacks do you want. You can draft them. You can sit them for a year. You could start rebuilding a lot of different areas with a patient mindset. Now it feels like there's a lot of anxiety out there at TCO Performance Center and with the general manager, with the coach. Of course there should be. Even if they feel like the one playoff win bought them some time, when you're looking down the road, it's like, well, okay, you got one playoff win in two years out of your $84 million quarterback, and your roster is getting less talented next year unless you make some genius moves. You would feel, I think, a lot more secure with what you have to do and not not bring back Everson Griffin mm-hmm. and not try to restructure Linval Joseph or something like that. Like you could let guys go and draft players and trade guys for draft assets and things like that. Things that you actually need to do and feel a lot more secure in them and be talking about potentially drafting a quarterback to sit for a year and play had it worked out that way. So you're saying So is there a scenario where they should have just kept Keenum? I mean, is that what you're essentially saying? Because you know, if the presumption is his run wouldn't have been that much different than Kirk Cousins, then the Super Bowl doesn't matter in that argument, right? It probably doesn't, um, but I think that was the only way he was going to stay. Yeah. So that's kind of why I use that as the starting point for the conversation, but also everything that they did after, including signing Cousins, but other other stuff too, just a, a mindset to try and put Garrett Bradbury right into the offensive line. Let's yeah. draft a center in the first round, which if you do Move that, the him. guy yeah. better be great. Yeah, yeah, Normally yeah. that does not happen. Yeah. Let's draft a center in the first round because that's what we need right now this year. Yeah. Normally you don't take that mindset at the draft, but this team had to last year. So maybe they take a different mindset. And I still think Bradbury could be a good player. Usually the first year doesn't tell you much about an offensive lineman and how good they're going to be. So he, I think he can be good. But that was a desperation pick. Oh, we got Coobs here. We got to have this outside zone. We got to have. So I think they've been greatly influenced. And how about bringing back Anthony Barr at mm-hmm. a huge price tag, reworking all these contracts, spending all these money to get yourself into cap hell? If you win in 17, I don't think you do a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And, and I, you know, if Case Keenum, though, is presented with some of the same situations, if Case Keenum is playing the Packers, and they're terrible in the first half on Monday Night Football without Dalvin Cook. Is Case Keenum a difference maker in that scenario? Probably not. You know, so I, to, to me, you would have signed Case Keenum. I do think there would have been a drop-off, and I don't think the team would have, would have been as competitive. Now, I don't think there's like a three-win, four-win gap or something between the two, but, you know, I don't know that they're necessarily 
if this is a drop off, if, if it's not just about the organizations that he was attached to, then perhaps you do take uh, a, a step back. But I think overall, can you win some of those tough games that champions win? I mean, that to me is what it comes down to. And even with the Kirk Cousins, you're going to find yourselves in those scenarios again. And that's how six and 10 happens because you're in those close games where you've got to have a big player or two down the stretch. And if it doesn't go your way, now you are eight and eight. Now you mm-hmm. are seven and nine. And I think that is just, that's going to be the reality under Kirk Cousins, no matter what. Like, I think that doesn't change with the Minnesota Vikings, that that is just where they are positioned as an organization right now. I don't think they have a quarterback who's good for an extra two, three, or four wins, like obviously a Mahomes is or a Deshaun Watson or someone like that. So if you have that scenario, you're always rolling the dice, always in that scenario. And that's why you can end up being a playoff team and squeezing in there and maybe beating the Saints or you go 7 and 9 or something like that and you're out of the playoffs. That's how that's what it feels like that's what you have to be comfortable with as a Vikings fan. And and that's where if we play it out and they win in 17 and sign Keenum to a let's say 3-year deal. Yeah. That is really heavy on the first 2 years in terms of money and then now we know we're getting to the end of the road. Where with Cousins what he's done has been just good enough, and especially the statistics have been very strong, and last year they were really good under Kubiak and with a very easy schedule. And uh, he gets the playoff win, which there was not luck to it. It's not like he dominated that game, but you go on the road in New Orleans and you throw a great touchdown pass at the end. You earned that. You deserve credit for Definitely. that. But then you also deserve just as much criticism for throwing 29 passes for 172 yards in San Francisco. And... You know, we just, you know, it's the offensive line's fault because it always is, I guess. But there were opportunities to potentially win that game, and that didn't happen. We got, you know, the typical Kirk interception at the wrong time and that sort of thing. And so if we play it out with Keenum as the quarterback, he wins the Super Bowl, and they say, all right, we're riding with you, Case, let's go forward. Instead of 8 7 and 1, maybe they're 7 and 9 in 2018. I just don't see him as being a 6-10 and 10 team because they still had a really good defense and they still had way more weapons than Keenum had in Denver. And then this year, so they improve it. They go back to the right scheme. Kubiak has made everybody great his whole career and runs a similar kind of thing as Pat Shermer. And let's say they win 9 or 10 games because the schedule was easy. I don't know what game they won this year that they don't win with Case Keenum. And maybe you lose in New Orleans instead. And then you're saying we have to make a lot of major changes if we ever want to get back to this situation. So we have to move on from Keenum. Maybe we change coaches. Maybe we're drafting a quarterback at the top. And it's just, if I lay it out for you like that, which scenario sounds more nice to a Vikings fan? Like, oh, well, moving on from the quarterback. And having a cash space to do it. Right, right. right. You you don't bring back everybody because you're a little more shrewd because you can be secure in your position. I think, but a lot of what you're describing is... Not just signing Case Keenum, signing Case Keenum to a favorable deal where the money's front loaded, and right. now you're going. Into so maybe year you three. do get the same number of wins because you could spend another place. So the cap is a big part. I mean, you can't talk about Kirk Cousins without talking about what is it? A fourth biggest cap hit in the league this year, third or fourth? Um, that to me is that's the position you put yourself in when you know you have a proven. MVP level candidate, in my opinion. You've got a guy who you go, we're going to put some guys around him. Some of them will be will be pretty good. Others maybe not, but he's going to still get the most out of them. 
I think the frustrating part is when you have that kind of cap hit and that's not the guy you have at quarterback. So I think what we're talking about with Case Keenum is he's not getting $84 million guaranteed over three right. years. Yes, uh, for sure. He is coming in at a more reasonable situation, which then going into this crucial offseason, maybe the most important offseason in, in a long time for this organization. He's going into this. You're going into this feeling like you have a quarterback. Maybe it's time to move in someone behind him, groom someone, but also you've got the cap space to add some pieces. And that's the position they're really not in. You don't want to be coming off uh, you know, a, a playoff exit where your quarterback didn't look great and not really having any money to spend. Like We're talking about cutting. I mean, that's been the entire offseason conversation. What can they cut? Yeah. Uh, and that's not a fun position to be in. Whereas you're looking around the league and there are a number of teams that have big, big money to spend, and you'd rather be in that position with Case Keenum on a favorable deal. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what you have. But I understand in that moment feeling like 2017, if we get that quarterback, then that's all we need. Yeah, And if we are sort of locked into this, if we are financially strapped, it won't matter because we'll have one of the best teams in the league. To spin that way and to put yourself in that position and to not have that, that's just the perpetual frustration uh, of this entire scenario. And I never felt that signing Kirk to a deal that big was any sort of long-term play. It was the chips to the center of the table. It's coming off of a year where you felt you were that close, so what can we do to carry on our high level of quarterback play because we don't think Keenum's going to continue it and we're afraid that Teddy's knee is going to fall apart and he's never going to play again or never going to be a full-time starter again. And and so it was understandable, but you knew the risk when you got into it was basically the situation you're in now. It's like if this goes not great and you don't get back to the NFC Championship, guess where you're going to be in two years? Salary cap hell, yep. who you cutting, who you're releasing, you're going to have to tear the thing apart, and then in the final year, potentially, of his deal, you won't be that competitive of a team. I mean, they're going to be decent, but they're not looking like a Super Bowl contender, really, uh, unless a lot of things just fall their way in the NFC like they did in, in 2017 with Aaron Rodgers getting hurt and so forth, and they go 13-3 and and get a home playoff game. And even then, it wasn't quite enough with a lot of the same pieces. So now you're going to lose a lot of these good players and, and going to replace them with who knows who. And, and that's just hard to sell as, okay, now you're going to be a Super Bowl contender. So it's almost like the um, the test where you put a marshmallow down in front of somebody and you say, okay, if you don't eat this for 15 minutes, then I'll give you two marshmallows. Yeah. And the Vikings just went... No, go, go, go. Give me the marshmallow. Right. Vikings F3. Yeah. But now yeah. they didn't get their two marshmallows, and they're in a really tough spot now. So I guess just, I don't know, I was thinking about so, that a lot as, as I left Indy. So so why shouldn't fans give up then? What's the hope? Like Why should they be hopeful? Well, it's football. I mean, that's one. So What does that mean? It means that, you know, you just never know, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, San Francisco was 4-12 and last year. And things went right for them. Their coach is brilliant. Nick their quarterback is totally right. right. Yeah, yeah. Nick, Bo- Nick Bosa, yeah. But, I mean, their quarterback played extremely well. Yeah. And their offense had their quarterback playing extremely well. Um, they won in the playoffs because they got great matchups. They matched up perfectly against the two teams they faced. They faced quarterbacks who love to hang on to the ball and get sacked. And, boy, did they sack them. Yeah. <laughs> they were healthy when they went into the playoffs. Not for the full year, but when they yeah. went to the playoffs. Yeah, came a lot of injuries. 
We've seen it go right for the Vikings a bunch of times in their history. Once a decade, they're in the NFC Championship, and they blow it. And uh, But all those years, things click into place. 2009, not just Favre was amazing, but also when I look up their easiest schedules, that one shows up. That they had a schedule go right for them. They had a home playoff game. you know, And so things click into place every couple of years, and you have to win when that happens. It didn't for the Vikings in 2017. Clicked into place, but you didn't come through and win. So you never really do know when your next chance is going to pop up. If Rodgers gets hurt again, Stafford gets hurt again, all of a sudden you just sweep right through the NFC North. You, know, you could see all these things happening. But in terms of believing that they can win in Cousins' final year, I have trouble seeing next year's team being better than this year's team in terms yeah. of total yeah. talent. And that's what makes it hard. And if you were to go back in time, let me just push the button and make this different, try that different scenario. Not that they won the Super Bowl, but maybe you went the other way with the quarterback situation. Then this time right now is super fun for us because we are debating quarterbacks 24-7 for who they're going to draft. We are talking about free agents because you have cap space to spend on them. Let's get this guy. Let's get that guy. Do you want Jadavion Clowney? Well, you can afford him. Now we're in a place where we kind of look at each other and go, yeah, I wonder what they're going to do here. Yeah, it's it's like being in a grocery store as a kid and you want maybe some gum or some licorice. Your mom's like, no, nah, it's not on the list. You know, you're just looking at it. That's all it is. The Vikings can do. They can really kind of look uh, at free agency and the combine and hope, but they just don't have the flexibility or or the money to spend. What are the chances that we look back at 2019 and say, that was the best year under Kirk Cousins, no matter what happens, whether there's an extension. Great, great chance at that, I think. Yeah, I think so, great too. Great chance. I mean, normally, just based on his numbers, somebody puts up 107 or whatever it was quarterback rating, they don't often do it again. Yeah. And I asked Mike Zimmer that, and he said the answer is improving the offensive line to keep him at that level. Okay, well, great, but how? First year, left tackle, just yeah. throw him into the fire? See how that works out for you? Okay. I mean, yeah. Usually it doesn't. So um, I think they could probably be this good again, but it won't be really soon. That's be- frustrating. Yeah. Well, this was fun. I think we made people happy. I think people are smiling about what's to come Only in 2020. Oklahoma football fans, because we talked about wanting Jalen Hurts. Um, let me ask you a question just before you go. So uh, who's Tom Brady playing for? What, what do you mean? Next year? Yeah. Not right now. He's not playing for anybody. I'll be with the Patriots. No. This, this is all smoke and mirrors. Lame. He's not going to Vegas. You played along with my fun scenario, and then you're like, Patriots. Let's go to Vegas. You don't want to go to, Patriots are, go to Vegas. They're not a good team you now, wanna, though. You want to hang out in Vegas. You don't want to play in Vegas. You know, you don't want to go to what about LA? Where, wherever. I mean, who's going to show up? A guy who loves to the see attention? Tom Brady? People you, show up. You've been to LA. Yeah, I know. People don't care. They're busy. They don't care. A lot of and shopping. They, and going they show on. up. They show up midway through the third quarter, and they're out by the end of the fourth. <laughs> Which, having gone to a couple of Dodgers games, I get it. Yes, you have to park a zillion miles away unless you want to pay uh, like one hundred and fifty bucks for parking. And, and and who's leaving the beachfront? Anybody? Awesome. Nobody. You got to get up from the beach. You're not doing that. I mean, you get into like Just November, to see Brady? and the beach isn't as nice. Then. Just to see Brady? Yeah, people would see Brady. I don't know. He'll be in, he'll be with the Patriots. I guarantee it. All right, Myron, this was fun. We'll do it again next week. All right, man. Uh, When we return, 
I want to talk a little bit more about Brady and also Matt Harmon, who does a thing called reception perception, where he watches for the top wide receivers, all of their routes and tracks a bunch of different things. And he's done some work on Stefan Diggs. That's very interesting. So we'll talk with him. Zolgad will be in here at three 30. We're back in Minnesota. And if you were wondering, by the way, the weather was terrible in Indianapolis. So I came back and looked at my app, the weather app and said, Oh, good to be back. The weather's going to be better here. Usually when I travel, I want to go to New Orleans or San Francisco, where it's going to be nicer. It was not. So, all right. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Listen and win with the free Score North mobile app this month. One lucky winner will win a $200 gift card to Amazon.com. Just for having and using the app, register your app, listen to your favorite Score North content, and you could be a winner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. There is a number of teams in this field right now who are ready to court Tom Brady. And he's never had that. Like, he's he's never experienced this where he truly, you know, I'm sure the fans of New England and and. Bill Belichick and Kraft have like made him feel appreciated, probably the fans the most. Yeah. But he's never been sought after like this. He's never been courted like this, where teams will just this is recruiting all over again for the number one recruit in the nation. And every team going, come to us, and this is what we can offer. I still, I still think we're sorely mistaken though if we think that he's just doing this for the oh, attention. This is very, attention. very real. Jeff Darlington there on Get Up on ESPN every morning. Matthew Collar here on Purple Daily. In about seven minutes, Matt Harmon from Yahoo will join the show, and he does a very cool project tracking wide receivers and always has a lot to say about Stephon Diggs. He is uh, a huge fan of Stephon Diggs from what he finds in his numbers, so we want to talk about his value to the Vikings and the conversation about potentially trading him, which I said to Mike Zimmer at the Combine. I said, Mike, have you uh, caught any of the trade rumors about Stefan Diggs? And I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has ESPN on his TV from time to time and caught some of it. But he said, uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So I made up a bunch of trade rumors and had him go one by one. No, that didn't happen. Uh, but I just asked him, you know, what do you, what do you think about all that conversation? And he said, after the one thing that happened, which was a big thing and shouldn't just be dismissed, uh, that everything last year went fine, which is sort of reflective of what I saw for being there every day. Not that it disappeared entirely. More of, let's say you got a bonfire out back, and then you pour water on it in the form of a $200,000 fine, let's say. (laughs) You pour $200,000 on it. um, But then, you know, you go out a couple of hours later, and it's still smoldering underneath the surface. Right. There's still the little orange things or whatever, the ambers underneath the surface. That's how I would describe the situation, but I didn't come away hearing from the combine, oh, who are you trading digs to? Everybody's calling on digs. It seems to be more of a thing that we've just wanted to talk about, and maybe there was somewhat of a message to digs being sent by Rick Spielman to say, hey, you are under contract, so let's not get crazy here. Um, but I expect Stefan Diggs to be back, and if he's not, I'd be very surprised um, but you never do know. Once somebody's out there on the trade block, sometimes it is too enticing, whatever type of deal, or somebody gets really anxious about their wide receiver situation and decides they want to make a deal. So the Brady thing 
is all the buzz at the Combine that everyone is saying, you know, everyone's talking about where Brady's going to go. And our buddy Sage Rosenfels heard from a couple of people that everyone believes that it's real that he could possibly leave, which sounds sort of, okay, what does that mean? Is he really going to leave New England? But the biggest thing that makes me think he will be somewhere else, aside from the fact that other quarterbacks have done this, Peyton Manning finishing his career somewhere else, uh, Joe Montana finishing his career somewhere else. That, uh, that it, it doesn't always work out at the end with all-time great quarterbacks in the situations where they're in for uh, their entire career. But also, just if you're Brady and you're looking at the Patriots' offense for next year, you're going to lose Joe Thune, who is a, a guard that the Vikings should definitely be looking at. But uh, also, there was a report that 20 teams want him. So... Good luck outbidding the other 19 teams with very little cap space, Minnesota Vikings. But they're losing a very, very good offensive lineman in free agency. Mohamed Sanu did not really fit there last year. Nikhil Harry, they drafted in the first round. He was injured and then you know a little slow learning curve there. Maybe he's good, maybe he's not. Julian Edelman's on the wrong side, was dropping the ball last year. They don't have a whole lot of weapons. And then their offensive line coach, who's legendary, he decides to hang him up. And, and and so you're just looking at an offensive situation that's hard to see being way, way better for Brady. So even from the standpoint of just wanting to win games, it's hard to see Brady wanting to stay. Who would want to stay there aside from the nostalgia factor, aside from how loved you are, if your number one top A1 thing is, can I win a Super Bowl? They had a great defense last year, possibly the best defense in the entire NFL last season. And he ends up with a good overall record, and he played well according to the underlying statistics, the pro football focus analyzing each throw, but he had to throw the way the ball away a ton because he didn't have people open or his offensive line didn't perform particularly well. And they're another team that eventually it does catch up with you and you've got to restock the cupboard But if you're Brady, why would you want to be there to restock the cupboard? I think Los Angeles makes a ton of sense because they have some good skill players, a good defense. It's in Los Angeles. It makes way more sense than the Las Vegas Raiders, who are very hard to see being actually good. Like, who is the top weapon that you're throwing to if you're Tom Brady? Don't don't you want a situation where you're going into it saying, I know exactly who I'm throwing to. I'm going to put up big numbers because I have this guy. And even the Colts have that same sort of thing. Maybe one of these teams can draft a top receiver, but you never really know how that's going to work out. If you go to Los Angeles, you have Keenan Allen, who has certainly helped extend Phillip Rivers' career for quite some time. And uh, I just like when stuff like this happens. Because then 10 years from now, we could go back and remember that year that Brady played with Los Angeles or the Favre thing here. It, It certainly gives you a story forever, no matter which way it goes. The fact that Donovan McNabb played here, not not that he's Brady or Favre, but <laughs> that, that did not work out no. super well. And sometimes when it implodes, it's really fun, too. Oh, yeah, this guy went and played for that. T- Joe Namath played for the Rams or something at the end of his career. It was just absolutely miserable. And uh, for us, with no uh, reason to care how it works out, at very least, it's going to make the NFL season really interesting if he goes somewhere else. I wonder, Jonathan, before we get to Matt Harmon, do you have a sneaky Brady location that is not obvious? Because I think Los Angeles is obvious. Indianapolis is semi-obvious, even though I think they bring in Phillip Rivers. Tampa Bay, they don't have a quarterback. 
Is there any place, because I've got one that was reported that made me go, are you kidding me? That would be insane. I was going to say Tampa Bay, but they're pretty obvious because they're just like the perfect situation there for them. they got two good receivers. Yeah. Plus, it gets them out of the AFC, which has a really good quarterback situation there. You, If you're going to want to get to the Super Bowl in the easiest path, go to the NFC for him. I'm not saying I heard this. I'm only saying that someone put it out there as some type of report that this team was going to check in with Brady mm-hmm. with the New York Giants. Whoa. They're I not good. Like They're not good. But they had a bunch of their weapons hurt last year and made it way harder on Daniel Jones because Evan Ingram was hurt and Golden Tate was suspended. They've been building their offensive yeah. line for a little while now. And if you had Tom Brady, their defense is still bad. But if you have Tom Brady in the NFC East where you don't know how great Dallas is going to be, you That's certainly what I would put. Don't think that the Eagles. Well, that was the other one. Is yeah, Dallas. maybe maybe Dallas because the Dak be situation the hasn't been resolved yet. It seems like those two sides are not moving towards a number that they both can agree on. You've got Amari Cooper there. You've got Ezekiel Elliott there. You've got one of the best offensive lines in the league there. You've got a new offensive head coach. I don't know how the cap space would work there with Brady probably wanting at least a pretty good payday because he's always taking hometown discounts for the Patriots. Yeah, it's probably like you know two- or three-year deal where they can work out the cap hit. I mean, it's just sort of a thing you do. I don't know. Dallas would be... People hate Dallas, and I don't understand why. They haven't won anything in a really long time, and yet they're always entertaining. There's no reason at this point... Could you imagine Jerry Jones with Tom Brady as his quarterback? That's the only reason to hate Dallas, is that Jerry (laughs) Jones is obnoxious, and they won a bunch a long time ago and still act like it's 1999. Mm -hmm. That's the as if they're just coming off of those Super Bowls. Like, you guys should still respect us. We're America's team. That's the only reason to dislike them. Mm -hmm. The reason to like them is because of how hilarious they are, that they're (laughs) always going to take these big shots and do stuff like that. So... Yeah, all right, I'm going to root for that. I, I don't really care if he goes to Los Angeles. That doesn't impact us much. And the Vikings just played at Los Angeles, so it's not like I can go out there and see Brady as a Charger next year because I root for me first and then everything else. Um, but uh, Dallas would be fun. All right, let's let's uh, let's get Matt Harmon in here from uh, Yahoo Sports. All right, now we welcome into the show from Yahoo Sports. He is a writer and analyst there and also the creator of Reception Perception. At least once a year, we get together to talk about Stefan Diggs. It is Matt Harmon. What's going on, Matt? Matt, it's good to be with you here. Uh, I, I'm glad we get to complete you know, our annual tradition. It's a thing that you know needs to be said just how awesome this player is because I think sometimes people – need reminding and of course we can we can get into all of that okay so you created reception perception where you track routes against coverages you take a ton of different data and it's all super awesome and cool and one of the guys who consistently shows up in your work that you will tweet out is stefan diggs now you just tweeted it today i hope for the benefit of our show the numbers of stefan diggs against different coverages and before we get to those i wonder what your reaction has been seeing stefan diggs in trade rumors because mine here has been uh, there's no actual reason that the minnesota vikings should be even considering stefan diggs as a trade guy yeah i mean i guess the only way that it would make sense is from purely a salary perspective because obviously they're a run first team but is highly they're highly invested in these two great wide receivers, which I think is the smart way to be, and of course their quarterback. Um, so from pure salary perspective, I guess you could say, look, they need to shed something. They've got some things to do there. But 
I think, again, this is, to me, one of the 12, 10 best wide receivers in the NFL. In the tweet that you mentioned, uh, which you can find on my Twitter handle, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, or use the hashtag reception perception, it's probably the first one there, is essentially this This is one of, this is the best route runner in the NFL based on the sustained success he's had in my metrics. So, yeah, I, I think it would be... I think it would be categorically irresponsible to trade a player like this. That's a great way to put it. And I, I thought it was really interesting, and, and you'll have to tell me if you agree with this, just how Stefan Diggs continued to perform when Adam Thielen was out. Because when Adam Thielen first went down, the reaction naturally is, uh, uh-oh, they're in a lot of trouble here because they've been such a great tandem for a long time. But the people even in the NFL that I've talked to about Stephon Diggs over the years since I've been covering the Vikings have always said this is a guy that couldn't be stopped no matter where he was. And if he was playing for another team where he was the clear number one, he would have much better even fantasy stats. Now, last year he gets 100 catches, a lot of short throws. This year he's almost at the top of the league in terms of yards per attempt and yards per route run and all those things but yet it still feels like he's being underappreciated yeah and i can actually speak to that too because i sat down and talked with stefan diggs right before the super bowl i actually posted uh, a video of that as well uh, from that conversation and you know he he spoke to that right away which is essentially i asked him what's what's one thing that's kind of a misconception about the wide receiver position and he actually brought up you know fantasy and stats and everything like that and you know i think he's right when when he says essentially like people want production out of wide receivers but all situations are different and you know i mean this is a guy i've I've sat down with like we kind of know each other a little bit so he knows the work that i do so I, i think he's appreciative of the fact that what i'm trying to do is show that wide receivers can be balling out even if they're not getting targets you know simply by getting open that's the one thing why i do reception perception that wide receivers can control it's how often they get separation how often they get open on individual routes and that's exactly what stefan Diggs again does from from a sustained perspective outside of antonio brown and we of course know he's not in the nfl currently and may not ever be again right now i think from a sustained perspective Diggs is the best at that and you know he went on to say that you know, on his team, they're of course they're trying to establish the run that he's paired with another great receiver. That he has a tight end, Kyle Rudolph, that needs to get the ball as well. So it is it's simply like it's, to, to quote him: "Different situations are different." And he's a guy that it does what he can control better than anybody else in the NFL, and that is running routes and getting separation. And I think it's great that you bring up the fact that he kind of shut down sort of a narrative around him, which is that you know this isn't the number one receiver on the team. I think he clearly established. He's the guy that dictates coverages. He drew more double teams last year than at any other point in his career. And, and he's a guy who consistently gets more defensive attention because he's that outside X receiver or outside flanker receiver. And, and I think that that really shows his value because he's still able to continue to separate better than almost anybody else in the league. Well, let's go over the numbers that you tweeted out. So you, you tracked all the success versus different types of coverages and versus man zone and versus press coverage. He was at least 75% success rate and versus press coverage, nearly 80%, uh, which contextualized us uh, that number. Like, what does it mean to be winning 80% of the time when you're getting press coverage? 
Well, that is, I mean, number one, it's the best mark of his career, which again, I think just shows you how he was able to excel despite the extra defensive attention. And, you know, this is something that I think you have to, it, it does need a little bit of context, which is that success rate versus press coverage. And just so everybody is clear that's listening that might not be familiar with perception, perception, a success is defined as a route where the receiver got open. They don't, again, it's not about the production that they're accruing. It's, it's trying to, quantify the qualitative reality of who is a great route runner and that success versus press number is interesting because there are receivers who don't face a lot of press coverage mm-hmm. that have higher numbers you know that are like i think the best number ever recorded was actually by um jordan matthews but he saw like 10 press attempts so you <laughs> yeah. need to kind of contextualize that a little bit so a lot of times when i'll tweet out those numbers i'll make sure to note that a guy you know who's who's seeing sort of a higher number of press attempts which Stefan Diggs was 36 percent of his routes that I charted last year he did face press coverage which is on the higher amount and again being up there in that 80 percent range he's unbelievably good even without the context and 80 or the 79.9 percent success rate that he has versus press that's at the 93rd percentile so again it's a really strong number uh, that I think shows you he is one of the most dominant route runners in the NFL, if not the most dominant. And also fascinating to me that he's not a guy that has a great deal of size. Everyone's always looking for someone who's six foot four or whatever else. Um, is it easier for someone his size, or maybe you can speak to just what he does that is so good off of the line of scrimmage for why he can't be successfully pressed? It's technique. Everything comes back to technique and nuances. Listen, it, it, like I, I actually went back and looked at all of the numbers that I've tracked for the over the 200 receivers that I've charted over the last five years. And look, this is a number that does like success rate versus press coverage does not correlate with size. It doesn't correlate with any sort of workout metric. It's not something that can be quantified or, or really translate from a physical skill. It's all about the dedicated study to become a great route runner. And being able to deceive receivers off the line, we all see the, the subtle head fakes or the foot fakes that receivers do. That that agility certainly helps, no doubt about it. And, and Diggs obviously has plenty of that, but it really shows some of the best receivers in the NFL become this be, become this great of a route runner because it is technical study, it's repetition, and Diggs has certainly become one of the best at doing that over the course of his career. Talking with Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports. And yes, search the hashtag Reception Perception. And I'm sure there are old tweets that are pretty interesting in there too. But I I love talking with you about wide receivers because you focus so closely on it. And I'm curious about your opinion. This draft class is supposed to be really good. What is the value of having three of them versus two of them? Because it's something that, you know, since the Vikings have had those two spots filled for some time, we've kind of been banging the drum Get somebody else out there. And B.C. Johnson did a good job, but it's not like he was a game-breaker. He's more of just a guy. So what is the value of having three versus two guys that can really be dangerous? Well, the exciting thing, too, is is when you can get three guys or two guys who can play every position. And I think you do have a lot of... Thielen is an incredibly versatile player based on how he can be that big slot receiver, but also is so good at winning on the boundaries and in contested areas that you can throw him in 
outside. And I don't think he's an elite separator outside as much as some other people do, especially not at the level that Diggs is at. But he's so good at winning in those tight spaces that you can throw him outside. You can obviously throw him in the slot. We've seen Diggs at different points in his career have more success in the slot and then move outside because he can do both. And if you can get another versatile player like that, that just creates so many problems for defenses because you can line these guys up. You can then, you know, if you can get a guy who can play that big X receiver and actually be, you know, a competent threat, not like, you know, a player like Treadwell has been through his career. You get somebody out there and you throw him at that X receiver spot, then you can move Diggs to flanker, to the slot. And that's the thing that really gives a wide receiver advantage because, Again, when you look at these success rate numbers, the lowest one in terms of the best numbers are the success rate versus press coverage because it's harder to get off the line of scrimmage when you're pressed. The success rate versus man numbers are lower than the zone numbers because zone coverage is easier to beat than man coverage. And when you can move a receiver around, that's they're going to face more of those safeties, the linebackers, the slot corners, when they can have more of an advantage, especially, we again, this is what we've seen Thielen do throughout his career. So having guys that can play all of the wide receiver positions, that is incredibly valuable to any offense. No, it's a great point. And with Diggs and Thielen, in 2016, Diggs is lining up as a slot receiver half the time, and then now he barely lines up in the slot, and Thielen yep. lines up in the slot a lot more and has had so much success there. And I also think that you, know, you talk about the technique, and Stefan Diggs' personality is a point of contention on the show because I've been around him for a few years. You've interviewed him before. I think he's a really intelligent guy who burns super hot when he plays. I'm sure when you went back and watched the tape, you yeah. see him, the way he competes, and people I talk to love that. They love that. But sometimes I think it's misconstrued how he reacts to certain things. And certainly, you know, against Green Bay, when he catches a touchdown, he shouldn't be ripping off his helmet or anything like that. That That's going to cost your team 15 yards, and you shouldn't do it. But I also think that when we ask the question, how did these guys succeed the way they have with Thielen and Diggs, you see that the two things that correlate are the intelligence and the technique, and then you add in the competitiveness, and you get somebody like this. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the best – quotes ever uh was from bill parcells and he said football is not for the well-adjusted um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not i'm not and i'm not saying like uh, these players are nuts or anything like that it's just you have to have a different level of competitive fire to go in and play an nfl football game as opposed to going into like my job or well certainly my job or any like most uh, any office job or anything like that so this is just I, I, it's just not in my wheelhouse to play like armchair psychologist or anything mm-hmm. like I think it's kind of bizarre that people consistently want to do that with a certain amount of players and like you know I, I think they're, they're just this is part of the part of the equation with Stefan Diggs and like if this is the worst thing that we're talking about like okay he occasionally draws a penalty or he you know demands the ball or something like that look he obviously is open all the time i would i would demand the ball too and you know again like we're worried about his changing instagram pictures this is the worst (laughs) we're dealing with again look at look at what i brought about with antonio brown like pittsburgh steelers obviously lived through a lot worse for a lot longer and clearly have come out on the other end you know getting a great run out of the wide receiver position and I think if this is the worst we're dealing with the digs, I, I couldn't possibly care less. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I, he's 
never been a problem for them outside of one week he skipped some practices, and then they started throwing him the ball. Good plan. Um, I think he should be the centerpiece of their offense and not necessarily a running back, but it seems Mike Zimmer has some different ideas about that. Last thing before I let you go, Matt. Always love catching up with you. Great insight. Um, Laquan Treadwell. I remember reading a piece from you way back when, when he was coming out in the draft, about how Treadwell won a lot of his routes in college and things like that, and it just did not work out in the NFL. I've got my own opinions on why I think it didn't work out, but why do you think it didn't work out, and what did you learn from Laquan Treadwell not working out? Yeah, Treadwell's a great example from, you know, how difficult it is to translate college to the NFL, of course. And, you know, unfortunately, because I no longer with the NFL Network, I don't track college players in reception perception. So we haven't really been able to see, like, how much does this correlate to NFL success or anything like that? But I will say one thing that I did really draw a lot of signal from in the early in the early stages of of the game with reception perception is these players who only lined up on one side of the field mm. you know and, and Treadwell was one of those I've noted him Kevin White Doriel Green Beckham you know Josh Doxson you can go down the list of like all, uh, the the Browns receiver who's drafted 15 the Corey Coleman uh, you know the, the, the history of like these great wide receiver busts in the last few years all of these guys were only lining up on one side of the field in college and it is certainly a red flag when you don't have elite physical skills and like clear trump cards like say say a dk metcalf did coming out of college where he mostly lined up on one side of the field when you're just a very average athlete it's you're able to simplify your your assignments so much by just lining up on that one side of the field just think about it from a muscle memory perspective you know you're you're breaking all the time to one side you're you're cutting all the time to one side where if you're playing on both sides of the field which by the way, everybody does on right. the NFL yeah. level. It's very rare to even see one guy approach 50% lining up at the left or right because they're all moving around. They're moving to the slot, et cetera. It's just a, from a pure muscle memory perspective, I think it becomes it, – it increases that learning curve, which is already strong. It inc- increases it tenfold, in my opinion. So I think that is probably – one of the factors that went wrong with Treadwell. <laughs> yes, um, probably some personality things, and also you have to be able to listen to coaches when they tell you to do stuff. So that's right. <laughs> that's another part of it as well from his story. Well, uh, follow Matt uh, on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. More people on this show with underscores in their names. I, I think it's a crime, but you have 96,000 followers, so I guess I can't criticize it. Um, but one of my... <laughs> One of my favorite people out there. Uh, search the hashtag Reception Perception for more of that stuff. It's awesome. Um, and I appreciate your time as always. And, and, Matt, let's not make it a year or Stefan Diggs rumors for when we get together again, okay? I, I would love that. Thanks so much for having me. And it, uh, let's always keep this annual tradition as long as this guy's in the NFL. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Judd Zolgad joins the studio. An offensive lineman just ran super insanely fast at the combine. Let's talk about that. And I just want Judd to name his big picture takeaways from combine week and everything that we have learned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Listen and win with the free Score North mobile app. This month, one lucky winner will win a $200 Amazon.com gift card just for having and using the mobile app. All you have to do is register your app. Listen to your favorite Score North content, and you could be a winner. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can join Mackie, Judd, and Rami each Wednesday at 5 p.m. for Write That Down. The guys not only make sports predictions, but hold each other accountable for them each and every week. 
For your chance to be a guest picker on Write That Down, enter through listening rewards on your Score North mobile app. Earlier in the show, if you missed it, Matthew Collar and Myron Metcalf had a really interesting conversation about Jalen Hurts because he performed at the NFL Combine last night. Here's what Kyle Brandt said about if teams are sleeping on Jalen Hurts. This idea that he's like a sleeper, like, no, no, people are waking up fast. Um, he's not... Tim Tebow, he's not it's Cordell Stewart, he is not Taysom Hill. He's going to be a starting NFL quarterback, prolific college career. He tweets after the workout, not proving anyone wrong, just proving myself right. Guys, mm. in the huddle, in the locker room, he's got it going on. Fast riser right now. I love him. You can go back and podcast that conversation between Matthew Collar and Myron Metcalf in just about half an hour time when we post this episode of Purple Daily on scorenorth.com, the Score North mobile app. Apple and Spotify and anywhere you find your podcast. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Back here, last half hour of the week. And I don't know what it is, Judd, but Eastern time to Central time. I don't get this. I don't know what it is. West Pacific coming home absolutely gets me. Eastern time, I've never struggled with. I'm really. This is, you're the first person I know who's really struggled with the one hour difference. And I have no excuse. It's not like I am the party person going out at Indy. So the only excuse I have is that um, maybe I grinded too much tape there. Here's my observation <laughs> on you. I don't think, and I don't blame you one bit. So this is not a criticism. I don't think you're a great traveler. That could be. Like, I think you like the routine, and so do I. I think you like the routine of your life. And so when you're up-planted and you got to go to airports, which, by the way, extremely stressful. Yeah. Underrated yeah. stress. And then you got to be... No, no, no. no. I love Jonathan, the I'm serious. I love the airport. I know, but some people... Not it's all chaos. people are, I'm surprised you, of all people, don't like the airport. It's chaos. But it still, it causes stress. That's fair. I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right, that when... I am going to places that I don't know on very strict time limits that also could go wrong. Yeah, which and you don't like. Yep. I'm being, with you on that. Being yeah. put in tight situations. It's not that I have trouble f- actually flying right. once we're in the air and once I'm settled, but everything in between, mm-hmm. even sitting there and just waiting and waiting and waiting to board is, yeah, probably more for me than some other people bothersome. But also another part of it, too, is... Everything is kind of spread out there in Indianapolis. Yes. So I looked at my step counter on my iPhone, and I walked like 15 miles in three days with a 20-pound backpack on. So yeah, okay. that could also be it. I did the equivalent of backpacking you in stay? the mountains. Uh, I was at Holiday Inn, not Holiday Inn Express. They're right next to each other. Okay. And so it was a 10-minute walk, probably eight-tenths of a mile yeah. just to get to the convention center. And then where everything is happening and where I met some people for interviews and things like that is at another hotel that's not in the convention center. There's Also, the media room isn't close to Radio Row, so I had to go back down there. Or Radio Row is right next to, this may have changed, but yeah, this has changed it's then. right next to where all the guys do their podium interviews. So you're going from you know upstairs back to downstairs and then it, yeah. all over the place. So, you know, and then you're walking to different restaurants and things like that. So maybe that's what it is and just uh, and not the time change as much. Anyway. What do you got for I want to know from you. We're at the end of Combine Week here. People are running around in shorts right now. In fact, Makai Becton, who's a left tackle, just ran a 5-1 at 364 <laughs> pounds. If you think that you're faster than offensive linemen, I have news for you. You are not. 
They are way faster than you. And he's probably going to go in the top 10 with this athleticism score. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Vikings are looking at a few different tackles. It's a nice draft uh, for that position. And so that is moved to the top of my board, if you will, for what position I think the Vikings will go with. But anywhere you want to go with it, Judd, this week, Monday through Friday, all the information that's come out, Spielman talked, Zimmer talked. Yep. What's the most compelling thing to you? Okay, I'm going to dismiss Rick completely because Rick tends to say as little as Rick could possibly say, which I completely get. And I'm going to take Mike because Mike always says things. He'll imply things. He'll say things. But God bless Zim, he'll say something. Um, I think it's intriguing, not entirely surprising, but intriguing that Anthony Harris is almost certainly gone, which I believe. It's intriguing that they are going to work to bring back Everson Griffin, which I thought they probably would not do. And here's, okay, here's a small sneaky thing I'm going to give you. And you're going to look at me maybe a little bit crazy because because it doesn't directly impact a player as far as their future with this team. But the most interesting Zimmer quote I thought in the entire week from his access was actually his quote about Anthony Harris. And now my immediate thought went to, I wonder what Harrison Smith thought when Mike basically came out and said, safeties, they're nice, you need them. But because, I mean, this guy, we're talking Mr. Defense here, right? Didn't you at least, didn't that cross your mind? And I realized that Zimmer wasn't trying to criticize safeties or Smith in particular at all, all right? But, you know, Mike has a way of just saying what Mike thinks. And I did think it's interesting that a safety that he's had for a long time now who is obviously bound for Canton, he's a Hall of Fame safety, in Harrison Smith, is going to at some point in time read a quote that says, your position, it's a nice position, it's pretty important, <laughs> but is it the most important? Not even close. I'll see if I can find his exact quote here. Um, for, it was just such a Zim It was such a Zim thing, and knowing that he's got such a key player there, it actually intrigued. I would love to go to that, to Smith, give him truth serum, show him the quote that you're trying to find right now, and be like, Talk about this. And I and I think that it could be represented a little bit in the wrong way of what position is most important. Because if you have a superstar safety, it changes everything mm-hmm. on your defense. But they already have that. And his name is Harrison Smith. Yep. And he's one of the best players in the entire NFL. So he said, if you put up the positions that are most important on defense, it's probably not going to be safety. Yeah. Which is ironic because in this defense, it is safety. Yes. That's what makes this <laughs> it so, is, yes. But it's a safety. It's a specific person in Harrison Smith. And so I think his point is, when you look at where the money is spent, if you compare two top uh, starting corners to edge rushers to safeties, where are most teams going to spend a lot of cash and a lot of cap space? They'll spend them on those other two positions first before they're spending them on two safeties. So what he's saying, in a way, is if you have Harrison Smith, Anderson Dejo is an undrafted guy, fills in, does really well. Anthony Harris, undrafted guy, and I think Anthony Harris could play anywhere because he's very highly intelligent, one of the smartest football players I've been around. He can play for anybody. Plus, he does that weird thing that most defensive backs can't do, which is catch it when it comes their yeah. way. And he's really no, good He turned himself into a great player. But... Can someone else play there? If you paid Trey Boston $4 million a year to play there to be a deep safety and Harrison Smith did everything else, then, yeah, I mean, probably somebody else can fill that spot. And if that's what Mike means, then I think he's correct. 
And we've always been kind of on that train of, hey, good for Anthony Harris. You know, real real good for him. Sort of great story. They develop a guy from nothing. He, I looked this up the other day. I had no idea. He weighed 183 pounds at the Combine, Anthony Harris. Wow. It's in the zeroth percentile of players at his position. No one in the defensive backfield weighs 180 pounds. And so he had to put on 30, 40 pounds to be where he is now and grow a lot. Probably had to get faster, tougher, stronger. He couldn't tackle in college very well. And, And here's a guy who was a late bloomer a bit and developed into a really good player. Um, but this is the type of tough decisions you have to make. You would far prefer to keep Anthony Harris, but you just can't. So right. now they're in those rooms. And I think what it does with this Zimmer's comment, I, I think it gives you a window into the room. Because the room is, uh, what about this guy? What about this guy? Who do we keep? Like, Can we replace an edge rusher in the draft? Probably not, especially in a weak edge rusher draft. So the top guy... Um, is going to probably go in the middle of the first round, where usually if you're a top edge rusher, you might be a top five pick. And then after that, it just goes downhill. So by the time you get to 25, you're probably picking a hit-or-miss guy who can't step right in. And then you'd have to hope that Afadi Adenabo takes on the full-time role. So they're having that conversation saying, all right, call Everson. <laughs> you know, let's just right. make sure that he comes back. And even but if he's, he's going to have to come back on their terms, I would guess. Yeah, but they can always... Kick it down so, the road a little bit with a deal. I've got a question for you off uh, what Mike said also about the safety position and my interpretation, which, because when I read Zim, I always try to think of he's saying one thing, but he's basically insinuating three things. So I thought one of the most interesting quotes, I believe, that was attributed to Mike uh, over the past couple of days of the Combine involved the fact that he basically said Harrison Smith I think he said something along the lines of Harrison Smith had to play safety too much in 2019 as opposed to the, hey, he's a linebacker here, he's at the line here, now he's playing safety. How much of a sideways shot in some ways was that at the fact that there was clearly a feeling that somebody had to make up for the cornerbacks and Rhodes in particular, and that Harrison Smith actually did have to play more safety to help corners who two years ago probably didn't need said help. Yeah. And and what they this is the point about how there was a domino effect with Xavier Rhodes struggling so much is when you can island Rhodes, you can do whatever the hell you want with Harrison Smith because you could just focus on one side of the field. He has that that side entirely locked down. He's going to take out that top receiver and then everything can be shifted over to that other side, all the attention and so you can pass rush differently. You can play zone differently on that other side if you want to. You could split that the field in half, play man on one side, zone on the other side. And Zimmer can use all of his creative powers. This last year, he was putting out fires. And really, we talk about roads, but Waynes wasn't that good either. Mm-hmm. And and then they're rotating in and trying to have Hughes come in and then Rhodes come back in, which I didn't really understand. I think they should have just gone to Hughes the whole time. But when you're trying to cover up for one player and it's at such an important position as cornerback, then you're hurting other people's abilities to be dynamic. And Harrison Smith is a guy who could play linebacker. He could play deep safety. The way they're talking about Isaiah Simmons, the way they talk about Derwin James, this has been Harrison Smith for a while. I've been thinking about whether I want to try to dig into this and and write an article on it. But Harrison Smith, if he does this for three, four more years, is going to have a case for being in the Hall of Fame. 
I think most definitely, yeah. And and the yes addition of more statistics and more understanding of X's and O's in football will, I think, help someone like that in their case for people to truly understand how valuable he has been for the Minnesota Vikings defense. And if you can't use him in all the ways that he's capable of being used, he's a tremendous blitzer. He's a tremendous run stopper in the box. It's not just the fact that he can drop back and make plays on the ball, but then he can even take on one-on-one if he needs to with receivers potentially he's a coach or tight ends. on the field, basically, I think. Well, that's the thing is that he knows the game so well yeah. that he can even go off schedule of, of what the play is if he sees something in particular. I've had other players say that where they'll say, like, oh, uh, you're doing that now. Okay. And then he blows up a play. Um so, you know, I think that that tells us that he did feel hamstrung by Rhodes. But my question would be then, well, what's your answer to that? Because let's just assume Rhodes is gone. Let's assume someone overpays uh, Trey Wayans. How is this changing next year exactly then? By drafting someone? By putting Holton Hill in? By putting Mike Hughes in? I don't see that changing a whole lot. I think you're going to be okay. in a tough spot again with Corey. I think you might be. I think I think you're right. Here's the one thing. I think Wayne struggled and was not great. But how much of this, from a schematic standpoint, also played off the fact that Rhodes went off the cliff so, so badly? I'd be curious to see two solid corners. Not even great, all right? But there, I believe that the whole play, the, the Russell Wilson touchdown pass in Seattle in the Monday night game was a byproduct of the fact that Smith made a decision to approach the line because that's the play where Rhodes was like, "Where? what are you doing? Where are you? Because in Harrison's mind, he's saying, Xavier, you've had this guy for three years. You're fine. But he wasn't fine. All right? So I think if you put Holton Hill, Mike Hughes, Chris Boyd back there, and they're solid and can hold up, I'm not even saying they have to be great, I think it takes a step potentially in the right direction. But the guy that I can't get past here who's going to have to have a good year and uh, be able to remain on the field to me, is Mike Hughes. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Mike Hughes is we're, not up. We're on if Mike Hughes, injuries now. If Mike Hughes plays, or if Mike Hughes plays well, it can't be a, oh, goody, he played well thing. It's almost a first-round pick. To me, it's a necessity that Mike Hughes goes from um, a good player who can't stay healthy to he plays 16 games and takes a, takes a significant step also as far as a player goes. Let me ask you this. If it's a great safety in year one in the draft or a corner with the potential to be great in two years, which one do you pick at 25? Which one do I pick? If it's totally up to me, if I'm Rick Spielman, I take the corner who might be really, really good in two years. Okay, I'm going to read you an NFL.com draft profile on a particular guy that is on my radar here for the Vikings. And I don't know that they're going to draft safety high. This could be what Zimmer said could just be an organizational view that you don't want to draft safety super high, that you have not spent draft picks on safety very much. What, Jaron Curse in the seventh round was the last safety that they even picked? Or uh, Marcus Epps in the sixth okay. last year, and he ended up on the Eagles. But let's just say that they think that Harrison Smith is also on the decline a little bit, on the other side of his uh, prime, so they want to find the next one. Here's the overview for this particular safety. An ascending prospect... Offering a combination of plus athleticism, field awareness, and versatility. This guy split time between the slot, free safety, and in the box, and is accomplished in each. 
That to me sounds like a guy to pick. Where he played, he played nickel in the slot. Okay, that changes my opinion then, and that's why. And I don't think that this guy's a first round uh, pick. But the, the reason why I'm so intrigued by Antoine Winfield Jr. Mm-hmm. is because of that. Because I do think the one the one area I think defensively that we've seen this league shifting to, and that it's going towards more and more, and I love it, is multi-positional players. Okay, let me continue. This is from NFL.com. I have not told you yet who this player is. Yep. His coverage instincts, athleticism, and quick twitch burst football uh, are more for a cornerback than a safety, yep. which is why he's likely to be coveted as a toy for teams looking to upgrade and diversify their sub-packages. Tell me you're not getting excited. Okay, now you're changing my mind because you're talking about a guy that could probably play cor- some corner too. This is Xavier McKinney from Alabama. Okay. So he comes from the best defense. I'm intrigued. And he's multifaceted. Yep. And if you put him with Harrison Smith, then you might be able to not only make up some of the shortcomings, but use this guy like a Tyron Matthew all Let over the Let me ask you a question. And this is, not, this is not to overstate things or make this a blanket statement, but five years from now, what's the linebacker position? Like, how much has that become? Because the traditional, and they're not all going away, Matthew, but the way I see it, and as we watch games, the traditional old-school base defense, three linebackers out there, is going away. And the more I see safeties and defensive backs who are big, who are strong, but are faster... What do you see the linebacker position being as a whole in, let's say, five years? I still think everyone will be looking for Eric Hendricks. That running running backs out of the backfield is a huge thing, Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to tackle them. So they've already become safety size. When I was growing up, the safeties were 230 or 240 pounds sometimes. They were massive. And they took people's heads off. What was Steve Atwater? I I mean, he was was gigantic. Um, And he used to run and plow through people. Uh, I'll see if I can get his height. Chuck Cecil? His height and weight. Um, Chuck Cecil might have been a little before me. Yeah, okay. 6'3", 220 pounds. Okay. There are linebackers who are 5 to 10 pounds heavier than that in the NFL now. Mm -hmm. Eric Kendricks probably weighs 230. And he's shorter, obviously. So, um, you know, I, I think that they look like him. Kendricks is extremely fast, incredibly smart, incredibly instinctual, intense, violent, you're still going to need that in football. That is like, football. Even right though there. they only run 40% of the time, you saw what happened when San Francisco yes. just trucked and the team, right? Like, if you can run over somebody, it's still And my point is, they're not all gone. Yeah. I just think it's changing. I think they all look like Kendricks. I did a piece on Kendricks before the beginning of the season, and I talked to Adam Zimmer, who is now co-defensive coordinator, and what he said was they used to call Kendricks when they drafted him tiny or small guy or something like that. And now he's average guy already, and it's only a couple of years from the time he's been drafted. I think it continues to go that way, where if you're not running a 4-4 or 4-5 as a linebacker, just forget about it in the NFL, and you better be able to go sideline to sideline. But you also have to be still on the tough side to shut down the run. It's just that these box safeties change it a little bit, because Zimmer was talking about how everyone is putting that extra guy in the box but he's got to be like a Harrison Smith. He's got to still be able to cover. He's still got to be able to drop back. And that's why Harrison has been such an asset for them, because basically Smith and Kendricks were ahead of their time for what they were able to do. You know, Harrison Smith is doing a lot of the Troy Polamalu, where he can line up anywhere and blow up plays at the line of scrimmage. It's an extra guy 
that the offensive line has to account for at all times. And Alex Boone has explained this on the show. It's a nightmare. You don't know if he's going to blitz. You don't know if he's going to drop back. You don't know if he's going to double cover someone. You don't know what he's going to do. And this, just the write-up on Xavier McKinney, where the final line of it is, McKinney represents a new breed of versatile matchup safeties with high upside as an early starter. That is exciting for a defense. And if you have versatile guys... I think that's better than just, oh, this guy's an outside corner. If you can plug in, if you tell me that a safety can go and play nickel corner, my perception of that player changes completely. Because those guys are starters, they're extremely important, and that position is a different position from cornerback, it's hard to play. So if you're telling me that a guy can play, can be a safety on this play, and then in inside in the nickel on the next play, that changes the dynamic to me completely. Do you decide where Brady's going yet? All right. I can get my head around him. I can picture up in my noggin him in a Raiders jersey. <laughs> I struggle mightily to do it in a Chargers jersey. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. The baby blue or something. And I struggle more than I do with the Raiders with the Titans. And I think the people that think he's going to the Titans might be right. Mike Mike Vrabel's there. Do I really think that he cares where he lives for a year or two? No. Absolutely. He's a richer than any. He's got a private jet. Exactly. Exactly. Again, he can go to wherever he wants. Giselle and the kids can come see Dad, okay? Um, The Titans one makes a lot of sense. They're a good team. They're a good team. He'd put them over the edge. Vrabel, I think, is a good coach. He knows Vrabel really well. I don't think there'd be a lot of nonsense there, and I don't think... He's looking for nonsense, at least from a football standpoint. I think Tennessee makes sense, Matthew. Yeah, the Vrabel connection and the fact that they are stacked. And if they bring back Derrick Henry, I don't know if they will or not, but I think they can run either way, even if it isn't Derrick Henry. The only thing that's annoying about that is Brady in a Titans jersey. It's the worst jersey in football. Other other than the Bucs, but I think the Bucs are going to go back. To what they were. How does a franchise that started in, in Houston as the Oilers with one of the great jerseys, one of the great jerseys, and the helm, the logo on the helmet, the oil, it's so good. How do you end up as the Tennessee so, Titans? Question for you. Do we love old school jerseys just because it's nostalgia, or is it legit good? Because I, I think the Oilers is legit an all-time top three, top five NFL jersey, but I can't decide if it's just one of those things where you hear a song from your child and you go, man, this song is so great. When ob- obje- no <laughs> maybe that's it. But objectively, maybe the song isn't that great. I think it's legit with the Oilers. Here's why I think as far as old school football jerseys go, it's legit that they were better. You name me how many teams have improved them. Very few. You know, Pat, the Patriots, one of the greatest logos of all time. The New England look now? Come on. Oh. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming back. Is Mackie back? Do we know? No, he's not back. Back on Monday. He's lost Okay, in New York, I All think. Right. Well, hopefully he handles the Eastern time to Central better than me. <laughs> All right, Judd and Rami coming up next. If you missed anything we did this week on Purple Daily, go to wherever you get your podcast. We also put a bunch of stuff up on YouTube as well. Just search Purple Daily, and we will catch you on Monday. Sage will break down what he saw in Lucas Oil Stadium with the quarterbacks throwing. We'll do that Monday. We'll see you then. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. 
Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.